0: This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Coming up in about a week is one of my favorite Montana events, the International Wildlife Film Festival whose mission is to promote awareness, knowledge, and understanding of wildlife, habitat, people, and nature through excellence in film.
1: After two years of not having filmmakers visit and of being filmmakers ourselves, we wanted to celebrate just the sort of joy of making films together.
0: To talk about the 45th edition of the festival, I'm joined today by Carrie Richet, Artistic Director, Roche Patel, a final juror this year, and an award-winning filmmaker himself. And Andrea Odazinska, a Ukrainian-American independent filmmaker whose wonderful film, *Return Sasek to the Sea, is showing at this year's festival. Carrie Roche, Andrea, thanks for being here today.
1: Thanks for having us, Justin.
0: So let's start with, tell us where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Carrie, why don't you kick us off?
1: Oh, sure. I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and my mom was a Montessori-ish Teacher for like sort of young kids. And my dad was, he worked at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. And I got to go back behind
2: there all the time.
0: Awesome. Roche, tell us about your upbringing.
2: Yeah. So I grew up in a small southern town of Danville, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a very interesting place to grow up. And uh, yeah, my parents and my father, he is a psychiatrist. And so they actually were both born in India. Uh, moved to the States in the 70s. So when he was finishing school, my mom had a bunch of odd jobs. And then once he finished his residency, she was helping out at home and raising me and my brother.
0: Okay. Andrea, how about you?
3: I grew up in Philadelphia. I was born there and uh, in the Ukrainian-American diaspora. Mm -hmm. Both of my parents were immigrants from Ukraine. My mom was a full-time mom um, and very devoted to uh, diaspora causes like the Ukrainian-American Women's League, and my father um, he worked for the city of philadelphia and a municipal job but his passion was getting immigrants to uh, take the citizenship test and also to go vote
0: awesome well philadelphia holds a special place in my heart for sure let's get right into it the four of us are gathered here to celebrate all things international wildlife film festival missoula montana we're just buzzing to be able to bring this festival to you again this year Carrie, as the artistic director for the festival, tell us about it. What are you particularly excited about? What's what's happening this year?
1: We're really proud of this film festival. It is a 45-year-old film festival, which now, more than anything else, is just a really big deal. Um, It's lasted for a long time. It was founded in the wildlife biology department at UM, and I feel like that is, at its core, something that is really important to it. It's founded by scientists, it's based in science, and it's based in people that really want to get those stories out in a really ethical responsible fashion and so now you add a bunch of artists to it and we just work to really bring it to a really excellent level of film and um Bring filmmakers actually to people and have conversations. Um, Roche here is on our final jury, but he also has um, had several films in the festival and won quite a few awards. In fact, we decided that we would make a joke about how we had to have him as a juror instead uh, because we already gave him awards. <laughs> but um, it's really about bringing incredible films and incredible filmmakers to Missoula, Montana. And now, just because of the last few years, it also has a streaming virtual catalog, so we can also bring them to wider wider audience, which is very very awesome. Yeah, isn't that well.
0: isn't that cool? How like some things during pandemic are you know it's it's enabled us to sort of create some innovations that can endure and to bring uh, additional value once we sort of try to. Re- return to some normalcy so yeah the streaming option and the virtual film festival that's a really cool addition that will apparently endure
1: yeah it it was very powerful we got connected to so many international groups i think just because all the filmmakers sort of bring their own pockets of community with them and it became a really important and and cool aspect i think it allows everybody to try to see all the films in the festival was just is actually possible now. And um, we're glad to keep it going.
0: Super, well, Roche, let's 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 uh, check in with you. So as Carrie mentioned, you've had a long standing relationship with this particular festival. Um, you're a juror this year, but let's talk about how the role the International Wildlife Film Festival has played in, in your career. Why has it been an institution you've chosen to
2: uh, align with? It has just been a part of my career just over the last decade or so. I think the first time I attended was 2011. Um, I was a graduate student at Montana State University, so it was local-ish, which was great. And so it was, I think, the first film festival I had ever attended. I volunteered. Later in my time at Montana State, I'd created some films that I had entered into the festival. My first film Pride, which was about Asiatic lions in India. So it was a a way to actually for me to tie back my interests in wildlife film back to my family and languages that they speak and things like that, which was great. It screened at the International Wildlife Film Festival and then ended up winning Best Short. So it was exciting not only to have the film in the festival, but um, just through that process, I got to know the final jurors, other filmmakers, um, and I can actually very clearly draw a line throughout my career from that point. One of the final jurors that year Later, reached out to me, helped me fund another film that later won another couple awards at the festival. I guess as recent as 2020, I've had a film in the film festival. So very clearly, over the last decade, whenever I have the opportunity to be a part of the festival, I try to do what I can, and I'm really looking forward to playing that role as a jury this year in the jury this year. It's a it's a different type of responsibility and one that I'm very excited about. And um, I'm looking forward to being back in Montana. It's been a couple of years since I've been able to make it out. So
0: super. Well, tell us a little bit about that juror experience. I mean, it might be something that listeners maybe aren't uh, quite familiar with the selection process for festivals like this. I mean, what, what do the jurors do? Tell us about the process. Like what makes a film appropriate for the IWFF?
2: Sure. Um, I think it's a very difficult question in terms of what makes it perfect for this festival. But one of the things I'm really excited about, and one of the reasons I love this festival is, is it changes and it grows with, you know, what's needed in the industry and for, you know, standing out in, in what it means to be a good wildlife film. So the jury is there's three of us. I'm really excited to work with the other two. Yeah. So we'll be watching about 20 hours of films that have been selected as finalists. So it's quite a bit of, you know, just, films to watch which I'm really excited about. I'm sure I'm going to learn so much myself about techniques and storyboarding and and all sorts of other things that I'll want to employ in my own films just by watching that many. So that's always sure. personally very exciting. But I'm also just excited to see what else has been out there. I mean, I, I think so much in filmmaking we get absorbed in our own films and our own projects that we don't always come up for air and see what else is happening. And so um, there's really you know, great stuff being made. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving in. I'm actually starting my review process tomorrow. Um, so I will be just glued to the TV, I'm sure, just watching all of these amazing films. And then what makes a good film, like I said, it, it changes with time. And I think, you know, the, the jury is different than other juries in the past. And we come with different experiences. And so I think what stands out to us might stand out differently in a, in a future year. But I think there's so many things at play in terms of community and, you know, innovation and storytelling beyond just beautiful wildlife footage that all play into it. So um, I think we kind of have to see what's presented and, and figure out, you know, what sort of stands out and feels unique in that way.
0: Yeah, a large task ahead and a big responsibility. Let's talk about one of those films and the filmmaker in particular. Andrea, let's bring you into the conversation. So your film, Returns Sussex to the Sea, is you know, sort of finding this, this particular moment of resonance, I'm sure. Tell us about the film, how it came to be, and why you're excited to show it at this particular festival.
3: Well, um, how it came to be is um, I won a U.S. Fulbright uh, Scholar Uh, award in 2018. And um, I have, as I mentioned before, my parents um, are Ukrainian immigrants, were Ukrainian immigrants. And um, I grew up in a Ukrainian American diaspora community in Philadelphia. And I always wanted to do a longer film. And I decided, wow, I've never, I had been to Ukraine for a few trips, sort of exploring kind of ancestral roots, but I had never been to the Black Sea area down South. And it's the craziest thing. I Googled Black Sea environmental and the word woman, and I th- believe also the, the word water. And up popped this really interesting article by uh, Demeter Kenarov. He's a, um, a very accomplished uh, journalist and photographer. And so I, I read this article about Sasak Estuary in Ukraine. And he, it was up on the, uh, the Pulitzer Center website. And I'm like, I want to go to that place. I want to see that place. And I went and I ended up living there and filming there um, for almost a year. Living, I was living in uh, Mikolaev and also in Odessa. I did some teaching there. That was part of my grant. And then I, I kept going back to the estuary and sort of insert, going around the whole estuary and interviewing people for the better part of a, of a year and four different seasons to learn the history of what happened there during Soviet times and um, the results of of some of these really crazy, bizarre sort of scientific experiments that were done to the estuary and the aftermath of all of that.
0: Yeah. So my understanding is, you know, this this sort of inlet of a sort was dammed off and tried to be converted into fresh water. Um, yes. And it, and it yeah. just seems like such, well, I mean, it doesn't seem strange given all the bizarre things we've tried to do to control the environment. But um yeah, without giving too much away, because we want listeners to go see your film, tell us just a little bit about like this bizarre constellation of, as you frame it, scientific experiments that happened in this region.
3: Well, I mean, trying to turn an estuary into a freshwater reservoir had ramifications which went on then for a good 30 years after. You know, it's, it's beyond belief. You know, I don't want to give too much away either, but um, structural things were done, with the uh, building of that dam, but then chemical things were done, and water level experiments and and so really i just I just wanted to hear from people who live right there in the various villages surrounding the reservoir what it what does that feel like you know to you now, and why is this still an important story? I um, was privileged to meet some really incredible people not you know that that are just trying to to bring this this body of water back to what it was that who remember what it was. And also, I was very moved. in in particularly, you know, the people who remembered what they had versus kind of the bill of goods, if you will, that sure. they were sold. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, that this will be better for you that this great big Soviet project is going to be great for the community and it's going to, you know, raise the agricultural output of, of Ukraine. And it's just, that's the part that was very um, moving to me, you know, and wanting to get that story out that it was kind of not at all great for the community and why it's worth hearing from the people that do battle there. I finished the film right before this, right before this latest invasion of Ukraine. You know, they were still, they were still dealing with the aftermath of, not even the aftermath, but the, the 2014 invasion in the eastern part of the country, That's, that was still going on. That's why everybody in my movie, all the men are in military fatigues, because they were still contending with that invasion.
0: Gosh. Well, Andrea, maybe Carrie, you can comment on this too. Like You're bringing this film and your participation, Andrea, through the, the labs program of the IWFF. Can you tell us about this Labs Fellowship and and what's involved in that level of engagement?
1: This is a really cool thing that we're so happy to finally bring back. We're bringing six filmmakers that made films that are playing this year to be participants in a Labs Fellowship. And after two years of not having filmmakers visit and of being filmmakers ourselves, we wanted to celebrate just the sort of joy of making films together. And so we thought using funds that we raised from the festival, particularly from University of Montana as well, we were able to bring six filmmakers for a almost 10 day retreat. They're going to be out here in Montana. We put them in teams and we're making them work while they're here. They get get to watch their films and, and meet the community. And we're definitely going to treat them really well. There's two teams and they're making films one is going to be working about sort of the watershed management system at the black with the Blackfoot uh-huh. and um, be working with Blackfoot Challenge. And another group will be working with the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes who are managing the Mission Mountain and the National Bison Range and the Flathead Lake up there. And we're going to concentrate on that Highway 83 corridor and their management there. So we'll have filmmakers sent out. We're hoping, like, Andre here is the AFI director. She is a really, really extraordinary, talented filmmaker and we're so happy to have her and five others come here and make quick films in about four days and then we'll be showing those at the Wilma on the Thursday night of our festival. That's the 28th and they'll be premiering these labs films for us to, you know, talk about the amazing work that's happening here in Montana and share their talents with us and just celebrate the act of actually making films together.
0: We'll be back to our conversation with Kerry Roche, Roche Patel, and Andrea Oduzinska after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hi, this is Steve Albini, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to a new angle. I'm speaking with Kerry Riche, Roche Patel, and Andrea Odazinska about the upcoming International Wildlife Film Festival. Andrea, so are, this year? Will this be your first time to Montana?
3: Yes, I am so thrilled. I, I can't even tell you how excited I am and I'm so excited about the fellowship too and just feel you know honored and cannot wait to to work on um, a new a new piece of you know a new film. It's just very inspirational to also to, uh, as Carrie mentioned, bond with other filmmakers. So' I'm, I'm beyond thrilled and it's also really a privilege I have to say this to be a part of a film festival that has a mission, that has a history, that's been around for a long time, that has its roots in, in this case, in environmental science, that's a rare good, that's a really you know good thing. And I'm very, very excited about it. So thrilled, really.
0: Super. And Roche, we talked a little bit about this a few moments ago, the reason why you've chosen over the years to align with the IWFF. Maybe talk about that side of it, like as a as a filmmaker, as an independent filmmaker, how do you go about making choices as to where you want to show your work?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many reasons to choose the festivals that you decide to screen in. And on one level, you know, you kind of wish... It just gets out in every possible platform sure. everywhere in the world. Yeah. And and that's a great scenario. But then there's the reality of just saying, you know, where is there the strongest sense of community? Where is it going to get the most play? Where is it going to help me develop my career? And to all of those, you're going to get very different answers. And so for me this festival in particular has really brought together a lot of those components where, you know, I can go back over a decade and think of all the people that I've met and since worked with or hired or been hired by, and, you know, just sort of, it's allowed me to establish that community, but also in such a um, comforting and inviting way, there's there's so little pretense about it. It's really just celebrating filmmakers being together in the same space. And over the years, it's really, gone back to Missoula as a community and looking at how to engage the university and kids with the, you know, the wildlife parade um, that, that starts the festival. And, you know, there's just so many aspects of it that just make it really clear that it's a set of values that everyone sort of comes to it with. And so, you know, as a filmmaker, there's just so many facets that come together in Missoula. And again, it's just, I can go back through my career and, and really look at, very specific moments or conversations that I've had while in Missoula that have helped me develop, become who I am as a filmmaker and storyteller, but also who have, you know, it's helped me figure out how to stay engaged and mentor people in some cases, or, you know, in this case, come help the the festival. I've always been really thankful for it. And so it's just, it always feels like coming home, going to, to Missoula for that festival.
0: So, Carrie, maybe from your perspective, I mean, you've worked on uh, a variety of festivals, not only in your role at, at the Roxy Theater, but also, you know, in your previous posts. Uh, talk about why this festival holds a special place in, in your heart and in the community.
1: Well, actually, I'm going to take a note from Roche and and hearken back to the the way that we open the festival, which is the Wild Walk, and that'll be on saturday the 23rd coming up here and the whole town shows up and um dresses up as animals and we march down higgins avenue and it's just like a lot of times it feels like the like the welcoming of spring to me here in Missoula, just parading down there and then ending at the Wild Fest, which is a ton of conservation organizations and music and food and some performance and lots of just a celebration of art making and like all the quirky awesomeness of Missoula just like comes out. I feel like that was sort of the opening moment where I just really felt like this festival, people just have so much pride in it. And there's just so much enthusiasm and i it just makes me really proud to be a part. It's like a pleasure to organize because people are just so excited about it.
0: In our remaining time, I'd love to sort of pull the lens back a little bit and just kind of hear a little bit from each of you as to why film is such an important medium for connecting with people and telling stories. I mean, the, the three of you are creators, you're artists. Why have you chosen film as your as your substrate? Maybe Andrea, we'll start with you.
3: I love film because I feel like it brings um, it brings all the different performing arts together, and um, and I and I love the fact that you can share it on so many platforms, and I hope the digital revolution has kind of allowed everybody who wants to, who feels passionately about. A particular subject to get their story out. I think that, um, you know, I made this feature film with a grant and a lot of time and love and energy, but still it was doable. So I, I hope I hope my film inspires people to go out and, and make, you know, get your story out. However you need to be that with an iPhone, a GoPro, uh, archival footage, still photography, all of the above. I, I hope from that point of view that, uh, that, that my film inspires people to, uh, to, to do the same. If And it's, it's a powerful medium. It,
0: it speaks for itself.
2: It does. Roche, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think everything she just <laughs> said, <laughs> um, I think, you know, really it's, I, so I actually started off as a conservation biologist and you know studied biology that's the route I thought I was going to go down I had an amazing research opportunity I was in East Africa studying elephants could not have dreamt of a better scenario but it sort of occurred to me at some point where you know I wasn't as great as some of the data processing as I think a lot of other biologists tend to be really creative and and that was sort of their opportunity I actually was like okay, maybe storytelling, this thing that I love on the side is the thing that can help with conservation in some way. And so since that point, I jumped from conservation to a less formal approach of storytelling. And then I could think about my contributions to the field as something like, if I make a film, to Andrea's point, there's there's a million ways you can make a film. There's so many arts you can bring in, mediums you can use cameras, editing styles, all these other things, platforms to deliver it on that when you make a film, you're the only person who can make the film that ended up being screened at the end. You know, someone else would have made something entirely different. So it was really exciting to sort of feel like, okay, the thing that I can do is really have a thing that if I didn't make it, no one would have made it. So that's been a really fun sort of challenge. What every time I make a film is, you know, how do you make that your own and unique? And sort of my last pitch for filmmaking is just really being able to reach people on levels that we can't through data. So much of what we're trying to communicate from an environmental and wildlife standpoint is is derived from data. Um, but we know that isn't always the best way to to communicate with people. And so film is just the perfect medium to to bridge that gap. Super. Carrie, your thoughts on this topic?
1: You know, when I watch so many films over and over for all these festivals, I just, you know, it's so important. I always want people to show me, not tell me. And film is just such a gorgeous, multi-sensory visual language that I just think it has so much power to make really, really strong statement. You know, I think that especially in the wildlife and environmental arena, that is essential right
0: now absolutely so in our remaining time here we need to get people listeners all the details on you know where to go how to get involved what the dates are so carrie give us give us the facts and figures how do people engage with this festival
1: our website is wildlifefilms.org. So you can go there, see all the films, buy your tickets, find tickets online, find tickets at the Roxy. We're even bringing the show, the festival to Bozeman for a day on the 30th. So there'll be in-person tickets available then. You can also show up at the Wild Walk on the 23rd on, the, on Higgins Avenue at First Interstate Bank, and we'll take over the rest and put all the rest of your information in your hand or come over to the Roxy Theater. And we can also share all about it in person if that's a little bit more of your preference.
0: So many ways to engage. And tell us about how to engage with a virtual uh, festival as well.
1: Sure. So the in-person festival is April 23rd through the 30th. And the Virtual catalog will be available May 1 through May 7th It'll be through an inventive portal, which is a really great way to stream. And you'll just go to wildlifefilms.org. There'll be a button right in the home page. And you just click that and you can um, choose any shows that you want to watch. We're trying to make it available globally. So as much as possible, it will be available to your aunts and uncles and friends and family. And you should spread the word for sure.
0: Super. So, you know, Andrea and Roche, you do a ton of other stuff as well. Um, let's start with you, Andrea. If, if folks want to learn more about you know this particular film, but your other work more broadly, where would you point them online?
3: Odazinska.com.
0: Okay, <laughs> we'll make sure to put it. that in the show notes so people get the spelling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Or
1: come or come to Andrea's showing on Sunday at six o'clock and meet her
0: very good uh, yeah
3: yes come to the q a i, I want to meet you i'm so excited i can't believe it
0: it's great engage Roche. how about you i mean i have to say you seem to have what i think is one of the best job titles as a resident filmmaker photographer at the smithsonian we could spend a whole episode on how you got that job and how awesome it is but yeah where would you want to point people who want to learn more about you and your work
2: Sure. Yeah. So my, my day gig is at the Smithsonian National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute. So I would say most of what I've been making of the last couple of years in terms of short films and, and um, exhibits and things like that, um, exhibit videos and things like that have been at the National Zoo. So the, that website um, nationalzoo.si.edu is where a lot of my stuff lives. Um, and then my personal site is Um, And there's a lot more independent stuff that I've either been producing or in the middle of producing. So there's just more stuff on that place.
0: Awesome. Well, it was great to catch up with the three of you. Thank you so much for collaborating on this amazing event. I hope listeners get out Watch some films, participate in the Wild Walk Parade. Just take advantage of this amazing community resource and event. Um, Thank you all for being here today. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: This episode of A New Angle is dedicated to the memory of Cooper Burchenel, a beloved father, husband, friend, and pillar of both Missoula and the IWFF. Happy trails, Cooper. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from University of Montana alums, Michelle and Lauren Hanson. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. A.J. Williams is our producer bto jeff amet and john wicks made our music editing by nick mott and jeff meese is our master of all things sound thanks a lot and see you next time